Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores brings you this best of Garage Logic, which comes without a number, I guess. It's officially, unofficially not numbered. It is a best of Garage Logic. We'd like to thank them for their sponsorship as well as Aquaside and so many others. And this is going to go back to 1997. This is a great interview where Joe talked to Dr. Stephen Ambrose, who had just written Citizen Soldiers. It's a charming and very information-packed hour of Garage Logic. I hope you enjoy this best of. And now, from the mayor's office, above the boathouse, on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production. Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Suchere. And as I said, we're going back to 1997. Citizen Soldiers author Stephen Ambrose. You are the last Big Ten player to play a 60-minute game. <laughs> That's right. What? So you? What were you on offense? I was a guard on offense and middle linebacker on defense, and it was against Ohio State, and we lost. In 1956. Yep. I didn't know you were from Whitewater, Wisconsin. Yeah. You you are terribly prolific. You undaunted courage in the new one. Citizen Soldiers are out virtually back to back. Well, Undaunted Courage was about a year and a half ago. Oh, okay. That it came out. But, they, yeah, it is. They're both out there. They're both fascinating, and uh, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. The, uh, the worst things can happen to an author than get involved with a Burns project, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> You're, and, listen, he let me play Shelby Foot on this one, so... <laughs> We had Dor- asked me, what do you think of that show? And I said, it's not fair to ask me. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> well, it was. I I, uh, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that show. And through the show was I exposed to you, I'm uh, embarrassed to say, for the first time. And I will now, I am now a fan, and I uh, certainly intend to read your work. Uh, you, you're probably, what, the nation's foremost expert on Eisenhower. I mean, your historical writing started way before Lewis and Clark. Oh, yes. I've done Eisenhower. I've done Nixon. I've done some Civil War books. I've done some Vietnam War books. I do politics. I'm, I'm interested in all of it. The one thing I keep uh, thinking when I uh, see uh, the kind of work a true historian puts out, such as yourself, is, and I, I this is either a cynical thought or a pessimistic one, I'm not sure which, can, can can this country ever repeat these kinds of feats, I wonder? Let's just take citizen sh- soldiers. Can you ever get what you call a young group of kids and do this again in, in the event that it ever needed to be done? Do you think we have what it takes to do what these guys did in World War II? Sure I do. Good. If we have that kind of a cause. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, if you're in 1935, people wondered, could the youngsters of today do what we did in the First World War? Mm-hmm. And they looked awfully soft and um, spoiled. But when the challenge came, they, they rose up to it. Now, you can't do it if you don't have that kind of a threat hanging mm-hmm. over your head. Mm-hmm. If this, we're still a democracy. We're still raising good young men in this country. Mm-hmm. The... Uh 
and in undaunted courage in particular it's uh it's uh, it's 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 hard for me to even fathom what what Lewis and Clark and the band of 30 did uh i mean just getting to St. Louis was an incredible adventure <laughs> that's right that's, that's the right. part that boggles my mind yeah. they had to get to St. Louis which was no treat yeah yeah it was a long trip down the ohio river with a lot of dangers along the way yeah we just stand astonished today at what those men were able to do do you think history is well enough taught in this country today? No, I think that the professional historians have got a lot to answer for. I think we've done a great deal in the last 30 years in talking about the people that had been previously neglected, slaves, women, minority groups, uh, the working class, and so on. And all of that was necessary, and we did need to do it, and to bring them into the mainstream of history. But regrettably, in academic history, in the process of doing that, they've forgotten about George Washington and Tom Jefferson, about mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln and, and Ulysses Grant, mm -hmm. about uh, Franklin Roosevelt and Dwight Eisenhower. And I think that our students, first of all, when they come to us, they want to know what anybody wants to know about their heritage and the past of their country. Who were the heroes? Mm -hmm. And what did they do? And you tell them that first, and mm -hmm. you sketch out that outline for them first. So this is the way I teach it anyway. Then you fill in. Mm -hmm. Here were the little guys who were out on the front lines mm -hmm. that had to bleed mm -hmm. and had to actually aim and shoot at the enemy and mm -hmm. so on. But first of all, they need to know who were the heroes and what did they do. And we don't teach it that way. No, and and uh, that's the other amazing thing about Lewis and Clark is uh, the role of this uh, Shoshone woman, uh, Sacagawea. Sacagawea. You have a granddaughter whose middle name is Sacagawea. Yeah. Yep. Uh, my God, they couldn't have done it without her. Couldn't have done it without her. That's right. They couldn't have done it without the Indians. Uh, overall, on a number of occasions, the Indians guided them, the Indians fed them, the Indians helped them in, in every possible way. And people say, well, Lewis and Clark, that was the beginning of the end for the Indians. Well, that's not quite fair or true. Lewis and Clark had excellent relations with the Indians, with mm -hmm. the exception of the Blackfeet. Uh, on their journey out and back, it was the coming of the railroad that changed things mm -hmm. in the Indian-white relationship on the Great Plains. All of a sudden, the whites wanted what they hadn't wanted before, and that was they wanted control of the Dakotas. They wanted control of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And that's when the clash came. That was 50 years after Lewis and Clark. Uh, if I'm interpreting this fellow's question correctly, we had him on in the first hour, and he, he wanted me to ask you, I think it's a two-part question, and that is, uh, Lewis and Clark's disappointment at, at their ultimate discovery that there was no passage. Mm -hmm. And two, d the Indians obviously knew this already, right? Yeah, sure, the Indians knew that. But uh, they weren't in a position to ask the Indians who knew that because none of those Indians had ever been as far east as St. Louis. Right. They were the Indians that were actually living in the mountains. And they knew perfectly well that you can't just portage over these mountains in one day. They knew it was a very long and dangerous trek to get over the Bitterroot Mountains. But the Americans didn't even know there was a Nez Perce tribe. Mm -hmm. They'd never heard of them. They'd mm -hmm. never heard of the Shoshones. The mountain Indians were unknown, just as the land was unknown. Mm -hmm. and, 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 the, and the Indians weren't necessarily trying to establish a route, were they? I mean, they they were... In... No, no. No Indian had ever crossed no. from the Pacific to the Atlantic right. or the other way around. No, that's right. These Indians lived in their areas, in their regions, and they were nomadic. Uh, the Sioux would range from here to uh, as far as uh, the Black Hills and beyond, out to the Rocky Mountains. But they didn't cross the Rocky Mountains. And they didn't go east of the Mississippi River. So their territory was, it's a big territory, but it was still, nevertheless, restricted. Mm -hmm. What's your writing day like? Oh, I start about 4.30 or quarter to 5 in the morning. 
and write till about nine o'clock, and then go to the post office and go to the health club to work out and go home and have lunch and take a nap and work a couple hours in the afternoon and eat dinner and watch a little bit of television and go to bed about 8 o'clock. Are you keeping a teaching uh, schedule at, at the University of... Not anymore, but I, I used to do it within that confine. Yeah, I used to teach three days a week and write three days a week. Uh, and you're now still... I just write six days a week. Are you living half the year in Mississippi? That's it, and half the year in Montana. And you and your family, uh, your kids... Uh, you once retraced this route yourself, didn't you? Oh, we've done it uh, every summer for 21 years now. Oh, really? Yeah. Not necessarily all of the route every year, but some considerable part of it. And there are portions of it that are pretty much unchanged. Yes, and I would like to urge listeners here to get out there. I mean, it's just, just a hop, skip, and a jump away in today's highways and automobiles to right. get out to Montana and go to Fort Benton and get in a canoe and make a five-day trip that you will remember the rest of your life. Oh, it's it's through the White Cliff section of the Missouri River. It's a wild and scenic river by designation from the Congress. There are no ranches, no power lines, no bridges, no sign of human intrusion. You see what Lewis and Clark saw with the single exception. You don't see the buffalo herds. Right. But you sure see a lot of geese and a lot of ducks and mm-hmm. a lot of deer, uh, mule deer and whitetails. You see quite a lot of uh, bighorns, and you don't see grizzly bears anymore either. Mm-hmm. But you can make that five-day trip, and it's just fabulous to do it and sit there around the campfire after a day on the river with your kids and now with our grandkids mm-hmm. and read aloud from the journals of Lewis and Clark sitting at the place where they wrote those journals, mm-hmm. describing what they did that day on that site. And it's just magical. Will you do it again this year? I've done it already this year. I did it with the grandchildren in September. I guess I was thinking in 98, yeah. Yeah, I'll do it again. You'll do it all the time. Yeah, and then there are a couple other areas. One is Wimai Pass on the Idaho-Montana border, where Meriwether Lewis was the first uh, U.S. citizen to step into the great Northwest Empire of Idaho and Washington and Oregon. That's a pristine place. Mm-hmm. And another one is on the Lolo Trail over the Bitterroot Mountains from Montana into um, Idaho and out to the Nez Pierce Cramp camping grounds when you get out of the mountains. And that's a, a, a wonderful spot for taking the journals along and camping at their campsites and reading from the journals. We're speaking with Stephen Ambrose, whose most recent book is Citizens Soldiers. In both Undaunted Courage and in Citizen Soldiers, what, what the reader realizes is uh, what great things eventually flow from these adventures or explorations? In other words, uh, Lewis and Clark paved the way for the uh, the settlement of the entire country. That's right. And in Citizen Soldiers, you speak fondly of these men who came back and uh, essentially built up modern America. That's right. They came home, those GIs, they had seen enough destruction, they had seen enough blood, they wanted to build. And they went, they went to school on the GI Bill, and then they went out, built the interstate highway system, the St. Lawrence uh, Seaway. They built the modern suburbs. They built the modern American corporation. And we're all of them. We're all of us today in their debt. It was a great generation for building after having been the generation that went out and stopped Hitler and Tojo. Right. And, and uh, cured polio and uh, all the list of uh, uh, accomplishments. Yeah. You say they lived possibly in the greatest uh, era of the 20th century. Well, that generation did more good for the world and for and for the United States, first of all, but for the world as well. I mean, Germany is, how come Germany is a democracy today? Mm-hmm. It's because of our occupation policies and, 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 and because we got the Nazis out of there for them. I mean, 
People don't think of it this way, but it's true. We liberated the Germans just as much as we liberated the French and the Belgians and the Dutch mm -hmm. in the Second World War. Have you ever spent much time in uh, France recently? I've been in France quite a lot, yes. Yeah, uh, does it does it bother you that you're that you're not treated very well? It depends on where you are in France. <laughs> now, Paris, Paris... I'm at war with the people in Paris. Paris is Paris, and yeah. no matter who comes in, if it's Napoleon's trooper, or if it's the Russian <laughs> army coming in after Napoleon, or the German army in 1940, or the Americans coming over after that, Parisians are Parisians, that's right. But I'll say this for the French. You go to Normandy, and you'll get a different reception. Mm -hmm. In Normandy, they're grateful. In Normandy, they find out you're an American. You can't buy a drink at a bar. May, uh, would you uh, please stay with us through this break? Sure. We're speaking with Stephen Ambrose, whose book, Undaunted Courage, led to the great Lewis and Clark film by Ken Burns, and uh, the newest book, Citizen Soldiers of the U.S. Army, From the Normandy Beaches to the Bulge to the Surrender of Germany. We'll be back in a moment. The next time you get involved with a charitable event, don't think you got roped into something. Use it as an occasion to turn that event into something grand. Dump the gift cards and the free golf lesson in the wine baskets and get a hold of BigTimeSportsAuctions.com. BigTimeSportsAuctions. Imagine having, uh, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 framed prints of Minnesota's favorite sports figures at the auction. You can with Big Time Sports Auction. And best of all, it doesn't cost your organization any money up front. Big Time Sports Auctions takes a percentage of what the items sell for, and your group keeps the, keeps the rest. I'm sorry. Call Steve at Big Time Sports Auctions at 612-718-3629. He'll take care of you. He'll customize the items for your event. Bring them out. Set up the bid sheets. Even collect the money if you want. It's the greatest way to have a good, good outcome. And all you do is take credit for a great event. So whether it's your school or a community organization or a church or the scouts or whatever it is, let your imagination run wild. Big-time sports auctions will take care of you. Go to BTS Auctions. That's BTS Auctions with an S dot com. Stephen Ambrose is with us in his newest book is Citizen Soldier. Stephen, uh... My my experiences with World War II vets are extraordinarily modest uh, compared to yours. I mean, with the exception of my uh, father and his pals, their generation. But two summers ago, I got to fly on a Fifi uh, B-29, the only flying B-29 left. Mm. And it was full of the guys who had flown B-29s. Mm. And to watch them uh, just stare out the window and, and talk to them and imagine what they were thinking was one of the greatest experiences I've had. And uh, to sit up in that bubble, uh, flying over Wisconsin farmland and imagining, <laughs> imagining what they must have experienced in uh, World War II was an incredible experience. Yeah, well, they, of course, they, in World War II, unlike your flight, they had a stream of flak coming up at them yeah. from down below all the time. How do you think uh, historians uh, will uh, write of the current uh, president, for example, Mr. Clinton? Do you think he'll have volumes written about him the way Eisenhower has and Nixon and Kennedy? And it, it, it's, Clinton wants to be historic. Everybody knows that. And his problem is that he doesn't live in historic times. We're at peace. Mm -hmm. We've got prosperity. There isn't much room for a president to be great in such situations. Mm-hmm. Which is very nice. I mean, I love it. I'm glad we don't have a crisis every day. Right. I'm glad we don't have a world war going on. But from Clinton's point of view, it's not a good time to be a great president. Mm -hmm. Would you entertain some questions? Sure. I want to go to uh, Lex. Hi, Joe. Yeah, go ahead. I had, a, I had a question about Lewis and Clark. I remember reading, oh, God, this was years ago, 
that when Lewis and Clark, I believe when they're heading out west, that they ran into like two explorers maybe in the state of Washington They were out there for maybe a couple years. And I remember they met them for a couple days, and they were really low on supplies, didn't have any lead left. And I think Lewis and Clark gave them like a file. Uh, to use and stuff. Could he please talk about that if he knows anything about well, that? Well, you you got it pretty much right. They ran into those guys, though, it was on the return trip. Oh, the return and trip. And it was on the Missouri River, uh, just west of Bismarck, uh, the Mandan villages in North Dakota. Okay. And those two guys, they got some powder and lead from Lewis and Clark, and then they persuaded John Coulter to turn back with them and go back into the wilderness. Were they going, were they, were, they, were these two men heading west or coming They were headed east? west. They were going out to trap. Okay. To go after beaver. So they were really like maybe the first two mountain men, maybe? They, they, exactly. That's it, exactly. Okay. And, and they were and, and it's, they were only two years behind Lewis and Clark. Okay, okay. And completely independent of them, and they didn't know. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, that's right. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank sure. you. Goodbye. And uh, Gordon? Hello there, Joe. Yeah. Thanks for having Mr. Ambrose on today. Yeah. Great, great writer. Mr. Ambrose, I'm from Montana, and the journals of Lewis and Clark uh, kind of compare to the holy writ of Moses and the children of Israel in some ways. Well, not just in Montana. I mean, I know in Montana, of course, but, I mean, and they're right. This is our great national poem. This is our epic. Exactly. And uh, I have a question for you concerning the fellows that went out there with them. How many guys, when they got back on the return trip, never went west again? And how many turned around and went back west and lived? Coulter went back west. Dreyer went back west. John Pryor went back west. Coulter, Uh, he lost an arm by going back west. Dreyer lost his wife. Coulter found Yellowstone Park. That's right. And uh, then he, you know, it's interesting. And then Coulter had that most amazing run in all of American history, running away from the Blackfeet, twenty-three miles. Yeah. He ended up at Yellowstone, right? Yeah. What right, is now right. Yellowstone? But then, do you know what? Calder then came back to Missouri with an Indian bride and settled down and was a farmer the rest of his life. Hmm. William Clark never went west again. He was in, His headquarters were in St. Louis, but he never went west of, of, of Missouri after the expedition. Most of the men took their land warrants and took up a farm and became farmers. How about the guy who made it to 99? Gas, was it? Patrick Gas, the sergeant, yes. 99. He made it to 99, and do you know that he volunteered for the Civil War? Right. He was 70 years old. <laughs> they probably took him, too. No, I, I they turned him down. <laughs> With Gordon on the line, I wish to ask you, because we brought it up uh, when the Burns series was on uh, two weeks ago, uh, the Ordway name is very prominent in St. Paul, and uh, I... I haven't been able to establish uh, the relationship, but I'm wondering. Ordway took his grant and went back to Missouri, right? That's right. Yeah. I wonder if the, our Ordways uh, uh, descend from him. Can't help you on that. Okay. One. They all became uh, fabulously wealthy through uh, a variety of uh, a Crane Ordway Company, and uh, uh, we have a music theater here called I the can, Ordway Theater. I can tell you who did have that. I do know who had immense numbers of prodigy was uh, William Clark, who mm-hmm. had a big family himself, and then they all had big families. So when there's a Clark family reunion in St. Louis nowadays, there's mm-hmm. hundreds of people yeah. that come. Gordon, thank you. Thanks, Joe. I want to go to a woman who apparently grew up in your hometown, Stephen. Mary. Hi, Dr. Ambrose. Hi. So good to talk to you. Um, I knew you, or I recognized you as a, as a teenager in Whitewater. I lived on South Prairie. Oh, did you? 
And you played golf with some of those vets, didn't you? Yes, I did, yeah. Yes? I think you were a pretty good golfer. No, not very good. <laughs> I played basketball with them, too. And, you know, those veterans at um, Whitewater it, it had a little college in town. It's now the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. At that time, it was a state teacher's college. That's right. But they got a lot of those GIs that were on the bill, the GI bill there. And Dad had a... Uh, backboard up in the driveway and we used to play basketball these guys lived in a rooming house next door and the thought that uh, comes to my mind is playing with those guys we played shirts and skins and every one of those guys had a scar hmm. well yes and, and your your father was the uh, medical uh, oh, director right, yeah. at, at the college i i read one of your bios one time and it kind of hurt me that you sort of belittled Whitewater. I know it wasn't the most intellectual community, but it was all that some of us who grew up in the Depression could afford. I've gotten in a lot of trouble on that one, and let me clarify. I said to him, I said, listen, when I was 18, I couldn't wait to get out of that godforsaken town where everybody gossiped about everybody else and where the, the level of culture was the Saturday Evening Post. And drinking and, at, at and, Whitewater. And, and, and all the heavy drinking and so on. Since then, I have come to realize what a wonderful town that was, and what a marvelous place to grow up, and all the sense of security I had, and the, the freedoms that came with being in a small town in the Midwest. Uh, I wouldn't have trade. I wouldn't trade it now for anything. And that second part of it never got quoted. Well, well you know, I'm not saying that I'm innocent, but I am uh, explaining a little bit further. Maybe that gossip was your first exposure to oral histories. <laughs> <laughs> and even though, you know, that was all we could afford, and, and some of us did go on to advanced degrees. We've written some books also, maybe not as famous as yours, but I have two textbooks under my belt. Good, good and for we're kind of grateful for the wholesome... Um, Look, I can be more specific. You're absolutely degree. right. And I had, a, I had a Latin teacher. Now, I don't think you can get Latin even in the big city high schools anymore. But we had Latin. We had four years of Latin at Whitewater High School. Mm -hmm. and my did you go to Ruth City Mursky. High or College High? Yeah, I went to City High. Did you? Uh, Ruth Mursky was my teacher, uh -huh. and I credit her with teaching me how to write because she pounded into us those Latin verbs. And any wannabe writers out there, I'll tell you, you can't do better than to learn some Latin and find out how verbs work. Well, we even though we didn't have maybe the highfalutin education of the East Coast, uh, we do read, and uh, it's so good talking to you, and congratulations on your Thanks success. very much. Very nice talking to you. Mary, thank you. Stephen, we're going to take a news break, and we'll, uh, we'll be back in a moment. Please stay with us. Plenty of great bicycle riding time left. In fact, in the fall is some of the prettiest bicycle riding around the Twin Cities you can find. Imagine yourself on a Bentelli e-bike from EcoFun Motorsports in Forest Lake. That's where I got mine. Five assist levels, or if I don't want to pedal, I just use the thumb control. EcoFun specializes in quality, affordable scooters, mopeds, youth ATVs, a full line of Yamaha motorcycles, youth snowmobiles, and the electric bikes. E-bikes are incredible. They're fun, they're lightweight, they're durable, they're comfortable, and they're designed to tackle any terrain. So stop in for yourself. Take an electric bike test ride right around Forest Lake there. Tim will set you up. You'll love it. And no other store in Minnesota offers an in-floor display, or on-floor display, I should say, of electric bikes that compares to what you will see at EcoFun. 
And at EcoFun, you will not pay the crazy prices they charge for e-bikes at the shops that exclusively sell bicycles. Uh, they also carry a full line of uh, Yamaha motorcycles, as I said, dirt bikes, ATVs, side-by-sides, top-notch service department for every product they sell. EcoFun is a family business started 11 years ago. They're here for the long run, and they care about their customers. Go online at EcoFunMotorsports.com. Once again, you are listening to the best of Garage Logic from 1997. Citizen Soldiers author Stephen Ambrose is chatting with Joe and the Garage Logic gang. Uh, sir, you are very popular. The lines are uh, jammed. How tough was it for you to get World War II vets to tell you what you wanted to know? Well, when I first started doing it about 25 years ago, it was very hard. But, of course, at that time, they were still in their careers. They had their kids to educate. Uh, they didn't want to think about the war. Now, in the last 10 years, I found it very much easier. They're retired. Their careers are behind them. Their kids are raised. They're enjoying their grandchildren. And old men's minds turn back to their youth. Mm-hmm. Now, the biggest thing that ever happened to them in their life, in the vast majority of cases, was being in World War II. And that extends from the lowliest private right on up to the Supreme Commander. I spent quite a lot of my life interviewing Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. And for him, the great moment of his life was D-Day. Now, this mm-hmm. is a man that went on to be two-term president of the United States. Right. But it, nothing could ever top Not to mention he got to play at Augusta. <laughs> With the winner. Right. The, the day after the Masters, he was... <laughs> the, 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 by presidential decree, the winner would stay on and play around Reich. But I, it, to me, it was always a hallmark of this generation that I, they would never talk about it. That's right. And, and, and there's another reason why. Um, it's very hard to get civilians to understand what it was like to be in combat. It is the most extreme of all human experiences. And, and, and so often, GIs will tell you that uh, I just can't talk about it to civilians because they just can't understand Another reason is that war isn't like Daryl Zanuck's movies. You go see The Longest Day, mm-hmm. and they show it every year again on the 6th of June. Watch it next time, and, and you'll notice this. Every man who gets shot in that movie dies instantly. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't happen like that. No. What happens is they get shot in the guts, mm-hmm. and their intestines are oozing out, and they're begging their buddy for a cigarette, mm-hmm. and you have to watch him die in front of you, or their brain are oozing out of the hole, and they want a hole in their head, and they want a, one last cigarette, mm-hmm. or they're holding their left arm in their right hand, mm-hmm. detached. Mm-hmm. And that's what war is like, and that's what they don't want to talk about. Let me uh, go back to the uh, phone lines. Uh, Sue, Stephen Ambrose is with you. Oh, good to talk to you. I haven't finished the book yet. Um, I have a question about Sacagawea. Do we know what she looked like? And I read Anna Marie Wald, Anna, Anna Lee Waldo's book about her. And in that book, she sort of alluded to that she sort of had a pining for, for Clark. Was that true? No. And she we don't did. know what she looks like. Neither of the captains nor the enlisted men who kept journals ever bothered to tell us what she looked like. We don't know if she was a large woman or a small one. Uh, whether they found her features attractive or unattractive, uh, they just don't say. As to a romance between her and Clark, that's Hollywood. I see. Yeah, wasn't there a movie we had it brought up the to us? The worst a... movie ever made. Donna Reed was sexual. Donna Reed was sexual. <laughs> uh, uh, Robert Montgomery played Meriwether Lewis, yeah. and Charlton Heston played William Clark, mm-hmm. and it makes you ashamed to be an American. It's such a lousy movie. <laughs> it's just awful. Sue, thank you. Yeah. And I want to go to uh, Georgia. Yes. Hi. I'm fine. I enjoy your programs immensely. Thank you. I recall, I'd like to ask Dr. Ambrose, 
if he got, hunted for any papers here in our historical society, because I recall back in the 30s, they discovered some Lewis and Clark papers uh, in a beautiful home on Sixth Street Hill and Mariah Avenue. I've heard this myself. Yes, yes. that's right. But you're you're off by a few years. It was in the fifties, and what they were it? William Clark's field notes. Really? Uh, yes, a priceless treasure. And they were in an attic in Minneapolis, and were finally or St. Paul. I don't know. Remember which? I think St. Paul. And they were finally discovered in the early nineteen fifties, and then it became a very big case with uh, possession because. The U.S. government stepped forward and said, those are ours. William Clark wrote those when he was on active duty, and that belongs to the government of the United States. And the family, they were descended from a Civil War general who was a collector, and that's how those papers ended up in the attic. The family said, possession is 99% of the law. We've got the papers, and the courts ruled in their favor. So where are they now, with the they're family? The Filson, no, they're with the Filson Club in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Georgia, thank you. Okay. We'll take one more here before the next break. Dick? Yeah. Uh, I, you had in your D-Day book, you mentioned Seaman O'Neill on D-Day from an LC, LCT. Yeah. And I was in service with Bill O'Neill in the Pacific on an LST. Probably the same guy. Yes, it was. Yeah. I was just wondering how you got a hold of Bill. Jeez, I don't remember. <laughs> it's been a, I've done a few thousand interviews, so I can't remember how I That's did that. Cool. Yeah, because yeah, Bill mentioned, I mean, he turned me on to the book and said on page about 391 why... Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm delighted to hear that. Uh, it's a very good book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dick. And uh, Stephen Ambrose will be back uh, quickly after this break. Uh, please stay tuned. GLers, you've come to think of Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats as your own clubhouse, and it is. It's right there on the north end of Hugo on Highway 61. It's a meat bazaar. It's the meat capital of the world. Spencer and his gang are always inventing new products. Uh, how about hickory smoked salmon, pastrami made in-house, beef briskets and beef, tri-tip roast, and always 130-plus brat flavors. Case after case after case of brats for your garage grilling brackets this summer. Also chicken brats and jerky. Any kind of meat you want, cut to whatever thickness you want, and all the advice you would want. These guys are professional meat cutters. They don't call themselves butchers. Spencer, I said, what are you, a butcher? He said, nope. I'm a meat cutter, and this is his business, and GLers have taken to it in droves. Uh, as I say, north end of Hugo on Highway 61, Spencer might still have the GL sign on the on the advertising display out front. You can't miss it, or you can try them at GrunhofferMeatMarket.com. Cut the grass. They'll all want to cut the grass when they see Knack Hardware's line of full-width lawnmowers. Full-width makes tough, durable products that last just about, well, forever. Full-width snowblowers and lawnmowers are Gumption County's number one seller. Why? Because they recognize there's a more for all walks of life. For those in transition from Diversityville or Euphoria, there's the FW10, the standard push mower, easy to use and very environmentally friendly. For the slightly advanced, the FW15 model. This is a 15-horsepower standard no-frills mower, just enough power to get the job done. And for those of you who just can't get enough, Full Width introduces the Elvin Straight Memorial Model. This 302-horsepower machine is the Cadillac of riding mowers and comes with these standard options. A fully convertible bimini top, no fewer than six beer can holders, a garage door opener, 
twin 42-inch cutting decks, AM-FM stereo cassette with headphones, CD player, cellular phone, air conditioning, and a powerful 302-horsepower six-speed engine. These models will sell fast, so get to Knack Hardware right away to guarantee your lawn and more will be the envy of the neighborhood. This season, go with full-width lawnmowers. Full-width for those who like to know. Hey, who cut the grass? We are back with uh, Stephen Ambrose, Dr. Stephen Ambrose, author of uh, Undaunted Courage, Citizen Soldiers, D-Day, many other works. Uh, Citizen Soldiers is the newest. Uh, I am to ask you by facts... Mr. Ambrose, what was the real reason the King of England sent John Bradbury on the same journey as Lewis and Clark? Don't know what he's talking about. Neither do I. Ask him what he knows about John Bradbury's follow-up to Lewis and Clark's journey. That's Don't know. news to me. Uh, let me go back to the phone calls. You have absolutely jammed these lines. Randy. Yes. Go ahead. Thank you. Hey, I, I spent a week crisscrossing Yellowstone and Wyoming and Idaho with my kids this summer. I thought they were going to be bored stiff, and they described it as the most awesome experience of their life. Uh, That's wonderful to hear. Over. But the frustrating thing for me is what uh, what my kids are being asked to write reports about and learning about in school. My oldest one the, is a sixth grader. The, the three major reports he's written so far have been on uh, uh, when, when learning American history, he wrote a major report, built the diorama and everything on Malcolm X. He wrote a major report on uh, Martin Luther King, and now he's studying World War II, and the only thing he remembers when he gets home studying about it is how we interred Japanese citizens during the war. That's painful for me to hear. Isn't it? And I, I, I understand what goes... I mean, I'm an academic myself. I spent my career there, but I think it's just distressful what has happened, and, and, and you say it perfectly. And I think it's sixth grade, you know, they want to know about George Washington. They want to know about Tom Jefferson. They want to know about Abraham Lincoln. They want to know about Franklin Roosevelt and Dwight Eisenhower. They want to know about our heroes. And I don't see anything wrong in teaching them what our heroes did and what we owe to them. I think it is necessary to have black history. Of course it is. Obviously, we have written them out of our history, and, and, and sure. it's, it's wonderful that they're coming back in, but not at the expense of, first of all, finding out who they owe their freedom to. We've gone from one end of the spectrum absolutely to the other, yep. and we need to find some balance. In the That's it. There. All right, thank you. Uh, yeah, Stephen, I need you to clarify an earlier statement because... Uh, in other words, the kids need to be taught about the heroes who provided them their freedom. That's right. But what we're seeing, and you're in you're in uh, town, by the way, in a particularly uh, 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 interesting moment in the state's uh, uh, educational battles, because this state wishes to adopt a new uh, set of diversity rules, which would uh, increase the emphasis on multiculturalism. I, I heard a bit on yeah. your your news at the top, you know. And I, what, what, what we're wondering, those of us who are in opposition to this kind of ideology, is, is this coming at the expense of obliterating American history? That's why I asked you earlier, if you think history's being well enough taught, uh, maybe it's just not being comprehensively enough taught. Well, however you would want to put it, I would want the school children in Minnesota to know that Thomas Jefferson was a slaveholder. Of course I want them to know that. But I also want them to know that the state of Minnesota is in the Union as a full equal with the states of Virginia, New York, and the other original 13, because Thomas Jefferson wrote the Northwest Ordinance. Mm -hmm. I want them to know that it's thanks to Thomas Jefferson that we have a country that stretches from sea to shining sea, mm -hmm. in which everybody has the same freedoms and liberties, and black, white, yellow, red. And it's Thomas Jefferson who brought that about, and I want him to know that about Jefferson. Mm -hmm. I want him to know about the Declaration of Independence. 
Unfortunately, today, all they hear about is Sally Hemings and Jefferson's mistress and Jefferson the slaveholder. And all that's true. I'm not denying any of that. It just as when I write about war, I don't glorify war. Uh, people that read Citizen Soldiers, are, you got a lot of blood and gore ahead of you when you read it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I want people to know that a lot of very positive things came out of that war. First of all, it was absolutely necessary for civil, Western civilization to fight and win that war. But I want people to know also that the men who fought that war took out of it a lot of very positive things, those who survived. That, uh, the teamwork, a sense of responsibility, a willingness to to take an initiative, uh, a, a love for their for their foxhole buddies, uh, a closeness of association, uh, a family sense that uh, you can't get in peacetime. And mm-hmm. I want my readers to know about that as well as the blood and gore that go with war, just as I want them to know about Jefferson, to whom we owe so much, as well as about Jefferson the slaveholder. And unfortunately, the way it's taught today, it's all about Jefferson the slaveholder. Mm-hmm. Was uh, Burns's treatment of uh, Clark's relationship with York done fairly? Yes, I thought he did a very nice job on that. Okay. Because when I don't blame York, I mean he goes on the trip and well, it's a it, terrible story. Ed, you, come you on, want, give you me want, my you land want to talk here. About the evils of slavery, just read about what happened to York after mm-hmm. the expedition. Mm-hmm. And William Clark, the most decent of men, had this terrible blind spot. York asked him at the end of the expedition, "How about my freedom?" All these other guys who were enlisted men in the Army, were getting double pay for the 28 months and 320 acres of land. And York didn't get anything. Mm-hmm. So he said to his master, how about my freedom? That would be fair. And Clark said, no, mm-hmm. I need you. Mm-hmm. Then he said, well, look, if, if you won't free me, how about selling me to a master in Louisville so I can live with my wife and children? Mm-hmm. And Clark, who was living in St. Louis, said, no, I need you. Mm-hmm. And then Clark wrote to his brother Jonathan a couple of months after that to say that York has grown surly mm-hmm. and insolent, and I've had to beat him. Mm-hmm. Now, that little story encapsulates the evil of slavery better than anything that I know of. Does it encapsulate Clark? Well, it does and it doesn't. I mean, it, Clark was a slaveholder. Clark was a racist. You had to be a racist to be a slaveholder. You had to believe that African Americans were inferior and that they were only fit for hard physical labor and that they had to be driven with the whip. And he had convinced himself of these things, as had George Washington, as had Thomas Jefferson, as uh, all slaveholders had to do that. And it was a, 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 it's more than a blind spot, but that makes a nice way to sum it up. We have our blind spots today. We don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. But 100 years from now, people are going to look back and, and, and say, my God, they banned marijuana? Mm-hmm. Or they're going to say, my God, they allowed people to smoke cigarettes? Mm-hmm. And, and, and who knows? I mean, I don't know what the blind spots are, mm-hmm. just as they didn't know in their time. John? Hi, Joe. Hi. Hey, I just finished uh, Undaunted Courage a month ago, and it was just fabulous. You did a great job, Thank Mr. You. Ambrose. Thank you. Um, my question is this. A major feature of the Corps of Discovery was to um, categorize uh, new flora and fauna that was unknown to science at that time. Right. Did they entertain any notions that there were going to be animals that only their wildest imaginations could conjure? Well, there were animals that they, they thought they would find mastodons. There was even some thought they might find dinosaurs. Uh, what they, so they imagined things that weren't there, and then they could not imagine what was there. They had no idea that the buffalo herds could be anything like that big. They had no idea what a grizzly bear was like. When they thought bear, they thought black bear in the Appalachian Mountains. And, you know, those black bear in those mountains aren't much bigger than a German shepherd. 
Your curiosity was soon satisfied. Yeah, that's right. It sure was. <laughs> but for all they know, they're in, they're sleeping outside at night, and there could be some, you know, mysterious monster of some sort that is going to wake them up in the middle of the night and say, "You're mine." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were. I mean, they were going into the absolute unknown. That's what is so hard for us to is feel. That is. We go around a bend, and we know what's going to be ahead. We've got a map in our hands. We've seen pictures of it. They went around a bend in the river. They had no idea in the world what was going to lie ahead. That's interesting. Thanks a lot. John, thank you. And, uh, Stephen, this is our final break. I understand you you can stay with us until 4 o'clock. Yep. All right, we'll be back in a moment with uh, Stephen Ambrose. Do you know at the end of July or early August back in the 80s, it was around 100 degrees quite frequently, and I bet you were doing a lot of swimming, and Aquaside, of course, was keeping your beach free of weeds because Aquaside has been helping people maintain great lake shores for more than 60 years with a complete line of lake and pond control products that will take care of everything from weeds to algae. Aquaside products are easy to use and begin working right away. And Aquaside is registered with both the EPA and DNR, and their products are safe for you, the fish, the water, and your family. There is no need to let weeds overtake your lake or pond this summer with these safe products. Call Aquaside today. They'll identify your weed problem and make sure your place looks great all summer long. Uh, uh, Shipping is free, by the way, and uh, these pellets are really easy to use. You simply fan them over the treatment area, and they begin working right away. Call Aquaside at 1-800-328-9350 or go to Aquaside.com. Take that music down because I don't have much valuable time left with this man. I wish we could talk to you for a week. Stephen, are you a smoker or do you come by that great voice of yours naturally? I'm an off and on again smoker. All right. Say, you're uh, appearing tonight, by the way, at uh, McAllister College. I presume it's at the Weyerhaeuser Chapel. Yes. And that's free, and yep. uh, you will be overrun, I'm sure, and you will be uh, discussing citizen soldiers. That's it. You really sound like a fellow who enjoys his work. I do I so much. I mean, I I decided I was going to be a historian when I was 19 years old, and I've never looked back, and my curiosity has never run out. I always want to know, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the book I'm working on now is The Building of the Transcontinental Railroad, and I'm just fascinated by how did they do that? Mm-hmm. I feel the same way when I see, uh, oh, a public television special on bridge building, for example. Yeah. It's yeah. fascinating to me how these things get done. Yeah. Brian. Yes. Go ahead. I have a very simple question. Uh, Mr. Ambrose, did you know that Thomas Jefferson uh, was in France at the time of the, the Declaration of Independence? No, not at the time of the Declaration of Independence. He was in Philadelphia. He went over to France later as our first ambassador to France. But he wasn't there at the time of the day. Uh, thank you, Brian. Uh, bad, uh, bad connection. Deborah. Hi, Dr. Ambrose. Hi. I really, really loved your contributions to the Lewis and Clark program. Thank you. And I'm wondering, do you write much like you storytell? Because if you do, you must be a great author. I write. I, I, I both lecture and write and speak publicly and on the radio just exactly the way I, I do it all the same. It's, I'm a storyteller. It's how I make my living. And my other question to you is, how would you term Ken Burns? Is he a historian or a filmmaker? I think he's America's leading historian. He's also our leading documentary maker today. And as a person, he's just a wonderful guy. 
you know, I did a lot of work on Nixon, and when I was doing an interview on Nixon out of Whittier with one of his high school classmates, the guy said to me, look, don't you understand, Dick Nixon is not the kind of a guy you'd ever want to go backpacking with. Mm-hmm. Well, Ken Burns is. Uh, he's just a great guy to be around. Well, thanks, and keep up the great work. Thank you. Okay, bye. Uh, why, why might that be true of Nixon? Well, because Nixon could never think of anything but himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was the most self-centered of men. Now, this uh, this tends to run with the territory. Most politicians are. But mm-hmm. Nixon was extreme in this, as in everything else. Uh, Ken Burns is interested in the world around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're out with Ken, and we're tell, swapping stories about this or that that happened in American history, or we're looking at the... The, the passing scene, and he's got commentary that is uh, insightful. He's got way better eyes than I do. He sees things that I don't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just interesting and fun to be with because he's not talking about himself all the time. You are not political soulmates, I would imagine. With who? Nixon? You and Burns. Oh, Burns? Yeah. Uh, we never talk politics. Yeah. A, a, a little bit. And yeah, he's a pretty strong Democrat. And yeah. And I'm not. Yeah. Well, then you you watch yourself tonight, by the way. <laughs> I think I have time for one more call. Uh, Steve. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, a few years ago, we visited Montana and a place called the Gates of the Mountains. Yep. Can you describe the historical significance as far as Lewis and July 29, 1805, Meriwether Lewis led the Corps of Discovery into this canyon. It was late in the afternoon, and he said everything had a dark and gloomy aspect about it. The walls towered up perpendicular on both sides to 500 feet. And he said, I name this the Gates of the Rocky Mountains, and that name is stuck. Today you can go to Helena, Montana, and 15 miles north of that town is where the gates begin, and there is a tour boat that holds, I think, 90 people that goes through that canyon. Or you can take your canoe, is a better way to do it, and paddle through the canyon. It's about five miles long, and it's the, it's the Grand Canyon of the Missouri River. Is that good, Steve? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Maybe we can sneak in one more real quick. Ken? Yes. Quickly. Uh, thanks for picking me up, Joe. Yeah. Uh, the the interview has been fantastic, and I applaud you, Joe, for the guys you get on board there with so much common sense. Uh, I have 14 questions. I'll break it down to one. I yeah, you only about, get one. I want to know about Coulter. Uh, I think there was a movie made about Coulter, and of course it would be all Hollywood uh, Hollywood smudge, but what can you tell me about Coulter? Where can I pick up some information on Coulter? John Coulter was one of the youngest members of the expedition at 19 years of age. When they got back as far as Bismarck, North Dakota, a couple of trappers were going to the west into the Yellowstone country, and they asked Coulter if he would come along, go back into the wilderness after 28 months, and Coulter said, sure, I love it out there. They went back, and Coulter then went off, went off as an independent mountain man and discovered Yellowstone Park. Then later he was with George Dreyer, also from the expedition at Three Forks, uh, when the Blackfeet caught him, and he made the most famous run in American history. The Blackfeet decided to tease him a little bit, and they stripped him naked and said, run. And he ran, and then they came after him. He was barefoot, all those thorns out there, those prickly pears. I hate to interrupt you. I got it. But gotta go. I do, but I'm wondering, what do you have to do? Can you do another 20 minutes? No, i got to run. i got another call coming in. All right. Well, I really appreciate it, sir, and uh, possibly we'll speak again. Thank you. Thank you. Stephen right. Ambrose was with us. A great interview. Best of Garage Logic here. That was from 1997. Stephen Ambrose, the author of Citizen Soldiers. And believe it or not, we've got some more Garage Logic coming up right away. I'm going to give you a nice little best of a bit. We got a little serious there, but it was a wonderful interview. Stephen Ambrose on with Such. We'll be back. Hey, this weekend, when you're messing around in the yard, don't forget, 
All of your home and garden needs and supplies are at Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores. Here's one of my favorites, Sam and the Snowblower. Sam? Uh, yeah. Sam Smithson. Joe. You're up at uh, Keywatton, we understand. Uh, yeah, we're up to uh, Keywatton. We understand that you had a uh, terrible accident with a uh, snowblower, and for some reason, uh, I guess somebody up there called us, and we've... <laughs> We've uh, uh, we've talked to uh, we we've de- we've developed a friendship with a guy in Bemidji who lost his hand and good good enough for him it's back on successfully and what happened to you Sam? Well, <laughs> I've been uh, uh, taking uh, quite uh, quite a ribbing from a lot of my uh, neighbors up there. Yeah. And uh, it uh, <laughs> kind of a touchy to talk about. But, You're a uh, pipe fitter. I'm a pipe fitter by trade, uh, mm-hmm. been about uh, 27 years, and a union man, and uh, I uh, got myself into a little trouble. What happened? Well, working out there on the garage, yeah, and uh, snow come down, and uh, I got to get the uh, blower out, and uh, told Jan I'd be out back uh, getting rid of some of the snow, and uh, she says, yeah, I'll go outside and crank up the blower, gas her up. And uh, had a little trouble digging uh, uh, out of the garage. Right. Big snow up there? Yeah, big snow. You open the doors, falling all over. And uh, crank up the blower and uh, push her out uh, about three, four feet, and uh, the auger got uh, stuck. Uh-oh. You didn't reach your hand in there, did well, you? Well, uh, you, know, you know, you you hear all these news reports of these people putting their hands in there and uh, getting uh, uh, ripped off, and uh, you know, I I I've been <laughs> doing this for I don't know how long has it been snowing. I ain't had a snow I ain't had a snowblower forever, but I went out there and uh, and grabbed a broom and uh, tried to get rid of the ice and nothing, nothing wouldn't move. So I uh, tried my hand real quick. You know, you real quick in there, in and out, boom, move it there, in and out, go. I still wouldn't move it, and uh, so I was leaning over, oh. and uh, I was trying to do a little rig thing so I could get her going, but uh, she wouldn't go. So I leaned over just a little more, right? And uh, it's a two stager, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, uh, she uh, she ripped my jeans a little bit, oh. and. Uh, Started tugging on my boy. I don't know uh, my loins, and uh, and boom, ouch! You're not telling me what I think you're telling me. Yeah, yeah. Huh? It's uh, took <laughs> uh, quite a ribbon from the from the fellas, but uh, well, well you go to the uh, hospital, they uh, did you repair did it a little bit, and uh, you you come you, back. So you were seriously uh, you were wounded at that point. Yeah, Sam. yeah. It's uh, I don't like to think about it, but uh, you know. So you, what do you do? You pick her up, uh, run her inside, get a bag of ice. Kind of funny looking at that thing in the bag of ice. Let me tell you, that would uh, that would be a sight, wouldn't it? Right. Yeah. You don't uh, you don't let a lot of people. Uh, well, the have, ice would have tend access to, to it. Yeah. Because well, that. Boy. Only the stories would spread then, wouldn't they? Because the ice would ice would shrink her up a little bit. Shrink it up, and well, so 
you know, you laugh about it. No, I'm uh, not. I, uh, I'm, I'm in fact, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm wincing. Oh, everybody talks about uh, you're going to have kids, and boy, I got uh, I got three kids already. They're they're fine, but sure. uh, I don't plan on having uh, more kids, okay, so I'm all done with there. But well, did they? Boy, first thing I think is how am I going to go to the bathroom? You know, what's, stuff like that, right? Sure. You know, I had had a glass of cup of coffee before, and uh, yeah. it's uh, well. It's now, were you home alone at this time? At this point? Oh no, Jenny, she was inside. And then, what did she do? Oh, she heard me scream. Right. No, not uh, not in pain, but in uh, disbelief. You know, turn the thing off. Oh boy. So she come out and uh, uh, she grabbed the broomstick. She thought I got my hand cut. Right. But uh, I said no. Oh. It's uh, not my hand. Worse than the hand. No, right? she was. <laughs> it's uh, kind of funny when I think of her reaction back then, but it was not. Uh, wasn't pleasant, you know. You get, uh, yeah, you make a mess. You don't in, want to make a mess in the garage. No. Uh, was this in November? Uh, this was early, uh, late November. Right. One of them. Uh, one of the big snowfalls we had there. And uh, so now this, so the the surgery was successful. I hope. Oh uh, we'll uh, we'll find out here. They got me hooked up. I'm wearing a diaper right now. I one of the old. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Depend. Yeah. I got those on, so I, I'm i not uh, allowed to handle it. Is it jammed? Uh, oh, I never never thought I'd say this, but no, not for a while anyway. <laughs> hey, yeah. Oh, she's laughing. <laughs> oh, but it hurts. I'll, you know, I'll tell you, it's not... Uh, uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to go back to, uh, the, the, the job, and the boys have called, and all the jokes, and uh, yeah. I'd like to thank all my friends for the cards, though. Right. Yeah. I never heard of such an accident, but it, it was because it grabbed your trousers. It uh, tugged in my uh, my trousers and started pulling them in, and, oh, you're not going to fight with it, so it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty good. You know, and you, you hear all the... Uh, and I'm sure you've heard the jokes and... Yeah, it's uh, it's all the jokes. I mean, the uh, all the buddies are calling from the uh, from the union hall or the VFW and sure. they're saying, "Hey, <laughs> you know, you got it all, or can you pick up peanuts with that thing, or to get a new one?" And <laughs> well, you, you're certainly uh, I'm not laughing it. anymore. No, you're taking it well. Uh, they got me on. Uh, I'm taking some pills. Yeah, I'm a little more uh, serious. If it. Uh, uh, well, once the drugs wear off, right? But uh, well, you know, what, you gonna, what else am I going to do? Sure, I mean, you got. I can't drink any beer because no. they're, you know, I got the diaper. Right, right. <laughs> well, I one I, man I, in the diaper. I feel kind of funny, but uh, boy, you, you feel really funny when you're heading to the hospital and, sure, and it's in a you're riding with the wife, and uh, you're in the back seat and riding shotgun with her is, you know, sure, you know. And she's doing this, I bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, a lot of that. She told me, I told you not to. And right. Why didn't you wait? Did we call the neighbor boy or call the grandkid? No, no, no. no. You yeah. had to do it. Yeah, I got in a little trouble, but, uh, yeah. Well, uh, if typical, though, uh, it seems like you handled it. Uh, you know, if, if something like that happened in the city, yeah. I just don't know what the reaction of a fellow oh. might be. But you're, are you in a uh, rural area? Oh, yeah, we're... We're up north here. Uh, I suppose it's uh, central Minnesota to you. Uh, everybody in the cities always says north, but uh, it's really not northern Minnesota. It's, uh, it's central Minnesota. But, I mean, there's no neighbors nearby? I got a neighbor. Uh, we own about, uh, I got a little hobby farm. My, my trade is pipe fitting, but right. uh, 
Uh, I got about uh, maybe 15, 20 acres, but right. uh, the guy next to me, uh, he's got about uh, about 200, and he, uh, he he farms the land, and he. Now, did they have? Uh, uh, he uh, wasn't home at the time. Did they have a? Thank God, or I'd still be hearing the jokes. Sure. Did, it, did were you fortunate enough to have a specialist, or did you just? Uh... Well, I think what you do is you uh, we went to the diet. I don't remember much after I you know blacked out. She uh, yeah. picked it up and said, "What?" I kind of came to her. She said, "What?" I said, "What happened?" She said, "Look." Yeah. She holds up the bag. And yeah. <laughs> oh boy. I was out uh, oh. for about uh, I don't know maybe about six hours. Holy so. smokes! Yeah, and the I uh, went to the doctor and he says, "Hey." Uh, you might be a little out of my league here. So right, we, but uh, he took a shot he, at it? He took a little shot at it, and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's shoddy workmanship or not, but uh, Was it, is it, we'll find out. I mean, yeah. is it? Uh, I sewed her up, and uh, no sta- I told him no staples. No. Uh, that was... Ouch. Yeah, that, uh, I said, you can sew her up pretty good, and even Jan, you know, she's uh, pretty good with the sewing machine, and she right. said, I could help, and he said, I got it here. Yeah. No. And you were out during this? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, even if I was out, uh, was uh, not out, I'd uh, I'd request uh, some type out. of. Oh, yeah, yeah, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Sure. Well, you know I would. It <laughs> <laughs> hurts when I laugh. I bet. Yeah. It hurts me thinking about it. Well, there uh, wouldn't be anything I'd recommend. No, I, I, uh, I would. Go through. No, you're not anticipating a lawsuit or anything like that. Oh, no. no oh, this no. is just it's an accident. A, uh, I think uh, uh, people, a uh, little responsibility for people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was my own fault for, uh, you know, getting into the business. And so a little speak. Trying to write. Trying to, uh, you know, rig the thing up to, to get the, to get the auger, dinghy, or whatever it is going. Auger. Auger, right. and uh, and uh, this did didn't it, work out for did me. It, did it fly out the chute, or uh, actually, uh, at, uh, <laughs> at <laughs> once it uh, it was kind of funny because I got trapped in there and uh, ripped at my uh, jeans. Right, and uh, we'd shut her down. Uh, Jan came out and, and shut the machine down, and uh, and uh, you know a lot of times it'll have that little burst of energy. Right. So they had insult the injury. Right. Uh, literally, it uh, it uh, spit her out once that uh, little little spot of energy, and they were both standing around looking at each, at each other, and, and uh, just kind of like <laughs> uh, popped right out of their chute there. And I chuckled at first, but it uh, I wasn't laughing later on. Jan Jan uh, Jan was worried, but I could tell when she was turning around, she was uh, smiling. But it so it. She fetched it. Though. Oh yeah, when uh, riding was snow, we had to dig around, kind of like she was looking for the medallion down in the uh, winter carnival, but uh, it wasn't in no dove box. So I'm uh, glad you can have fun with this. It's uh, it's uh, uh, a burden, but uh, uh, you know, again, as I said, no, you... I, I got my I got my own self into it. No, I understand that. Did you? I suppose the word spreads in a small town. You did. Well, yeah. You yeah. didn't advertise. Now, once you uh, once, once you call for uh, you know nine one one or uh, actually it's not nine one one. We're in a rural area, so we just call the sheriff and they will uh, uh, dispatch an, a- an ambulance. And, and we did that, but uh, a word uh, word travels pretty fast. Sure. 
and uh, I had some calls, and the, the jokes didn't come in until the day after. But, uh, right. but once they knew you were going to be all right, once they knew that uh, I was going to be okay, the uh, all the uh, and I've heard them all. You know what did uh, what did Sam do? Well, I won't go into one, right. but uh, yeah, I'm sure you you know them all. I, I well, I can imagine. I, I how does a how does a one-handed man count as change? Right, that cast. You know, I don't know if you've seen that one. Well, actually, I have. It's uh, pretty well. That was me. Kind but of an I, old VFW. I didn't trick. have. But the only deal I just didn't have to put my arm in my sleeve. Right. Right. I think I get. It. You know. How does a one-armed man count as change? Uh, this is radio. Uh, otherwise, okay. I'd show you. But uh, well, I yeah, you take uh, your arm out of there and put it through your. your... Sam, I uh, we certainly we'd like to send you a, a T-shirt and a cap. Oh, that'd be uh, that'd be dandy. Yeah. Uh, and you uh, you have your we don't we don't uh, get you up here, mm-hmm. but uh, I do have some trucker friends that uh, listen as they uh, go through. You are have a garage show or garage logic, not a car show though they no, say it's no, not a repair. No. No, just uh, if life's worth figuring out, life? even okay. even something like uh, uh, your uh, your uh, uh, unfortunate accident, you know, you and your wife, it sounds like you virtually in the shadow of your garage. You, you figured this out. Let's I'm find sure. it and I'm pack sure. it nice and let's go here. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure this isn't what your show is about. No, not at all. But we having that. Uh, but we we admire uh, the uh, the resiliency of uh, people who encounter these terrible injuries and get over it. Uh, sure. Well, I just hope next time the the snow flies, it's just snow. <laughs> I hope it's uh, not that slushy snow that'll get caught. Right, because you you've uh, you've uh, learned your lesson. Uh, I sure have, and I, I think I'll listen to Jane a little bit more. Listen to who? Uh, my wife, Jane. Jan. I thought her name was Jan. Uh, I believe it is. See, I'm on drugs. You are on drugs. Yes, I'm on drugs here, so it. Uh, so that's an excuse. I call her a Janie, a Jan, whatever. whatever. <laughs> I'm just glad she was here to, to I, help I, me out. Yeah, and she's yeah. probably relieved in her own way, if you know what I mean. I think she's happy that uh, it will be reattached. Right, it is attached, and uh, I will be okay. It's just tough when I laugh and tough when I lean over. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, uh, Sam, thank you. Is it Sam? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sam. I had to check before I right. responded to you. Smithson. Uh, yes, sir. Well, good luck. I'd love to have that T-shirt. Uh, we'll get uh, can I put you on hold? Uh, sure. If I'll... you could, uh, if you could send it, I'll give you my address right now. Rule route. Well, no, uh, no, no, no. Don't do that over the air. No. Uh, I'll put you on hold and you can talk to our uh, assistant, Kelly. All right. All right. Uh, her name is, is that the gal that called? Yes. Nice gal. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sam, and good luck to you. Yes, sir. That was one of my personal favorites, Sam Smithson from, uh, was it Keywatton? Well, I hope you enjoyed this best of Garage Logic. We will be back live for the next podcast. I'm not even sure what number it is and what the records were on that date, but uh, Joe's going to give you all of that data and information. So thanks for sticking around. GarageLogic.com is where you find everything podcast-driven for GL. Author's Corner, what's on Joe's bookshelf? Boy, this was on Joe's bookshelf, uh, Citizen Soldiers, but he's got some updated books you might want to take a look at. Greg Holcomb has wonderful creations, and that is on the Features drop-down button. You got anybody who would like to advertise successfully with a Garage Logic podcast? We'd love to hear from you or tell them about them. 
Also, don't forget, yes, it is a real podcast. My family podcast, Table Talk with Rookie's Family. That's what it's called. It's right there at podcastone.com or anywhere, Apple, iTunes, all that kind of stuff. Don't forget to review us as well. Have a listen. Thanks, Garage Logicians. This recorded Friday afternoon, and uh, it's time to party.